4, verses 1 through 12. Today I'm reading from the New International Version, a little different than our typical Revised Standard. Hear now the word of the Lord. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. And will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So sometimes my husband, Ben, teases me that I can be a bit of a Debbie Downer. Maybe you know that character from Saturday Night Live. In the midst of a happy gathering, I'll end up working in some depressing anecdote. I swear I don't do it on purpose. It just comes naturally. So consider yourself warned. On this second Sunday in our summer series on friendship, the Spirit is leading me to address the matter of loneliness. Though I am presently blessed with a wonderful array of friends, there have been seasons of my life marked with intense loneliness. The longest and hardest was during my first five years as a pastor. During seminary, we had lived on a campus surrounded by friends. But upon graduation, we moved to the edge of Los Angeles County to serve a small congregation two blocks from the Pacific Ocean. It sounded heavenly. I mean, somebody had to do it, right? <laughs> the tricky thing was, however, we didn't know anyone in the neighborhood. 
Our seminary friends had scattered. I kept in touch with them, but they weren't around to have coffee or go on a walk with. And I had been trained in a philosophy of ministry that proclaims that pastors should never be friends with their parishioners. So I held the lovely folks in my congregation at an arm's length. I realized that I'd never had to make friends in the wild before. I'd always just befriended classmates. And I found Southern California to be a particularly difficult place to connect with people. And every time I did finally click with someone, they ended up moving away. To add to my lack of local friendships, as a solo pastor in a church that only had a handful of very part-time employees, I spent much of my time in the office entirely alone. Even after I had a baby, I struggled to make mom friends. Poor Ben. Let's just say I'm a bit too much for him without the benefit of friends or family around to absorb some of my very big personality. You can imagine why a move to the Midwest and to a church staff full of wonderful colleagues and coworkers was so compelling. Best of all, I learned that the model for ministry here was radically different from what I'd been taught in seminary. Here, I was encouraged to cultivate pastoral friendships with parishioners. And now I can't imagine it any other way. For me, moving to Western Springs was like the moment the Wizard of Oz goes from grayscale to full color. Or like dancing in a rainstorm after a season of drought. I know firsthand how painful it can be to be lonely. The connection and belonging we experience through friendship is no mere icing on the cake of life. Friendship is essential. There's some research statistics in here, so it's gonna get easier. <laughs> Several months ago, I happened upon an article referencing a Harvard research project on the matter of loneliness. The scientists reported that rates of loneliness had skyrocketed through the first year of the pandemic. That fact was so self-evident, I almost had to laugh. We really had to send Harvard researchers out into the field to confirm that people were lonely in 2020? The overall rate of loneliness, some 36% of Americans, was unsettling. But it was the breakdown of populations that really chilled me. 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children felt serious loneliness. The researchers were sounding the alarm on what they called an epidemic of loneliness because the condition is so closely correlated with declines in mental and physical health. Perhaps these percentages have improved since the height of the pandemic. I certainly hope so. But what hasn't changed is that we live in a culture that seems perfectly poised to keep people 
lonesome, and isolated. It's almost a cliche to mention it, but the technology that can keep us connected to long-distance friends can also disconnect us from the people across the table. In her book about the intersection of technology and loneliness, Sherry Turkle writes, technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely, but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections and the sociable robot may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other, even as we are tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. For all the ways that loneliness has become prevalent and pronounced in our culture, our scripture reading today reminds us that it is an ancient and universal condition. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes never fails to startle me. The author of the book is so stark in his brutally honest ruminations about human nature. You could definitely call him a Debbie Downer. I mean, my goodness, he says it's better to have never existed than to witness the wickedness done on earth. And certainly there are days we read the newspaper and wonder if he's right. The author of Ecclesiastes is keenly aware of how life can be turned into something far from the good creation God intended. In this passage, evil and envy and loneliness conspire to drain the meaning from life. For whom am I toiling? The lonely man asks. He sees that his life is unmoored and aimless. But even as the author of the book laments something meaningless under the sun, he gives us a glimpse of something meaningful under the sun. He imagines one man helping another up, two bodies huddled in a tent close against the chill, three friends with lives woven together into a beautiful and unbreakable cord. It's not that we don't suffer if we have friends. It's that we don't suffer alone. As the great spiritual writer Henry Nouwen puts it, friendship is being with the other in joy and sorrow, even when we can't increase the joy or decrease the sorrow. Friendship is a unity of souls that gives nobility and sincerity to love. Friendship makes all of life shine brightly. This summer series on friendship with our game nights and our group discussions, our dinners out, and our letters to incarcerated men and women, this is something meaningful under the sun. The frivolity of friendship is not frivolous. 
forming bonds with our neighbors and siblings in Christ makes all of life shine a little brighter. We need one another. It is easier than ever to feel trapped in isolation, unsure of how to connect. Sometimes we need someone else to be the one to extend a hand. This is our small way of extending a hand to anyone and everyone in this community who might be experiencing loneliness. This means risking vulnerability. This means letting go of the illusion of companionship and accepting the demands of friendship. This also means considering how we spend our time. For if we are too busy for friends, we are too busy. We will feel an encroaching emptiness in our lives if we do not experience moments of connection and belonging. Our souls thirst for communion. If this series seems too secular, think again. Friendship may be a universal human need, but it is also thoroughly theological. Our souls thirst for communion because we were created in the image of God, and God is so inherently relational that even though God is one, God is three. The beautiful mystery of the Trinity is an icon of perfect friendship. In the language we inherit from our spiritual ancestors, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct, yet inseparable persons, eternally bound in a relationship of perfect love. The Trinity is an icon of perfect friendship. And best of all, through the ministry of Jesus Christ, who calls us friends, we are invited to join that divine dance. So my prayer for this summer and for always is this. May this congregation be a place of true communion with one another and with the triune God who, in Jesus Christ, is even now calling us friends. Amen.